religious rituals and traditions are no substitute for true worship and knowledge of God and righteousness from the heart. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Do we have any fans of the old musical Fiddler on the Roof here today? Okay, yeah, we have a few. I know uh, Don Vino really loves that one. He has mentioned that from time to time here as well. So we do have some fans of that, but there in this there is a song that references a particular Jewish uh, habit, and that song is called Tradition, right? We see the tradition, that's right. Uh, actually, we have a, a talented singer right here, you know, who, uh, would you like to come up and give us a rendition? Not to, Maybe next week. Okay, all right. But uh, this, uh, this musical, Fiddler on the Roof, though, famously references Jewish tradition. Now, what is tradition? Well, tradition refers to long-established customs and practices. Long-established customs and practices. Now, there isn't anything necessarily wrong with the concept of tradition in and of itself, is there? In fact, there are some traditions that can serve us well. But sometimes tradition can become a problem, though, too, can it? When can tradition become a problem, do you think? What do you think? We're going to make this an interactive uh, message here. What do you think? When can tradition become a problem? When it flies in the face of modernity. When it flies in the face of modernity. Okay, well, that's, I wasn't going there, but you're right. It can be a, yeah, it can be a problem there. Okay, what else in the back there? When it becomes more about the tradition. Okay, it becomes more about the tradition than the truth underlying it and what's really important, right? Okay, okay. Yeah, so tradition then, it can become a problem then. Sometimes what? When it gets elevated, when it gets elevated to a level of equal authority with the Word of God, all right? And it was especially problematic then when those traditions, not only become on an equal plane with what God has spoken to, but then when they can even sometimes be at odds with God's Word. Well, tradition is this. Well, but God's word says that, right? That can happen then as well. And that was the case with the Pharisees. They were so committed to their traditions that they lost sight of the truly important commands and principles of God's word. They added to God's word. They spoke on things that God had not spoken to. Or they took things that he had spoken to, and then they just added a whole bunch more onto that. They added to God's word, but then they elevated those man-made rules and command traditions then. They sometimes twisted God's word, and they hypocritically disobeyed God's word. So they added to God's word, they elevated their traditions then, and then they lost sight of sometimes of the commands and principles of God's word. They lost sight then of what it means to truly know and worship God and in its place had substituted all of that with their own traditions. Other than that, though, they were doing just fine, though, right? But of course, though, 
I'm glad to say that the church, the church has learned well the lessons of the Pharisees, and we don't have any problems like that today, right? Church doesn't do anything like that, right? Elevating tradition, making it on a level with God's word, sometimes forgetting the importance of what God is saying, and we're more concerned about doing things a certain way than understanding the principles and truths of God's word. Now, unfortunately, that can continue to happen today in churches as well. Well, we are continuing then today in our series on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Unique. There is no one like him. He is the only one, the only God-man, and his life was indeed unique. His ministry was and is unique. Uh, We are using as our basis here a harmony of all of the gospel accounts from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. All of those put together into one flowing, harmonious account in chronological order using this resource called One Perfect Life. So as we continue then today, we're looking at tradition And our text is found in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, and also John chapter 7, verse 1, a harmony of those passages of Scripture. And here is the key thought that I want us to take away from our message here today, is that religious rituals and traditions are no substitute for true worship and knowledge of God and righteousness from the heart. Again, it's not wrong to have rituals and traditions. But when it becomes a problem is when it is elevated to that and it becomes a substitute for true worship of God, true knowledge of God, intimate personal relationship with God, and righteousness. Righteousness isn't external matters. It is something that is of the heart and comes from the heart. So religious ritual, traditions, no substitute for true worship and knowledge of God, righteousness from the heart. Before we look at our text here then today, a little context. You know, from the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was in conflict with the Jewish religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law. They were offended by the things Jesus said about them, and the claims that he made about himself. What were some of the things that Jesus said about them that they found offensive? What were they? What were some of those things? Broods of vipers. Broods of vipers. Now, that's not a way to win friends and influence people, is it there? <laughs> Call them a brood of vipers, snakes. Okay. Yep. Hypocrites. What else, Jerry? Whitewashed, empty tombs. Ooh, wow. Full of dead men's bones. Right? He didn't spare. He, he made it clear that he was not impressed with their righteousness, their self righteousness as it was then. And so they didn't like him because of that. Like they wanted to kill him for that. But also, though, they were angry with him because of claims that he made about himself. Who did he claim to be? God. He claimed to be God in the flesh. And of course, they saw this as utter blasphemy. Yeah, you must eat my body, you know, eat my flesh, drink my blood. They didn't understand that. They didn't like that, right? In fact, we saw that last time, how he had declared himself to be the bread of life, that he was the bread from heaven, and that he, he, Jesus, he would give eternal life to all who come to him, and that he, Jesus, he would raise them up, he would resurrect them all on the last day. Blasphemy, blasphemy in their minds then. 
So it didn't go over very well. No, it didn't. And so they were not happy with Jesus. So we're going to read our, in fact, they were seeking to kill him then. Uh, We're going to read from our text here today, and I want you to do this again, a little in the spirit of interactivity here. Uh, When we are reading through the text here, as I read it, when we come to the word tradition, would you all say that along with me, right? Okay, say it along with you as we come to that in our reading here. So let's look then here at our text starting here. It says, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee. For he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers and copper vessels. And then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread so we see here then that fault is found fault is found the pharisees the scribes the teachers of the law they looked at jesus disciples and they said hey they're eating they're not washing their hands probably now get my the issue isn't hygiene it's not that they didn't wash their hands. How many of you were taught from when you were a little, little child, what do you do before you eat? What do you do? You wash your hands, right? Well, that's not the, the issue isn't here like washing your hands, like getting them clean before you eat. They were saying they don't wash their hands. It didn't mean that they were just, you know, they had dirty hands and they should wash them. We, it, it's a matter of proper hygiene, right? No, that wasn't the, that wasn't the kind of washing they were referring to. They were referring to a specific, ornate, highly elaborate process of how one washed, a ceremonial washing, all of these things that you did through before you eat. It wasn't just quick little soap and water and you're done. Actually, I don't know if they had soap then, but a little water. They, did, they, didn't, they didn't do that. It wasn't about that. It was a special procedure where one would get this water and one would pour it in just a certain way in certain vessels and then you'd pour it first uh, first this way down your hands until it reaches and then you turn this way and turn it this way and then over it there was and you had to follow exactly in this order the way it went right you know i had i had just uh a few weeks ago i was in washington dc there and i had a chance to visit arlington cemetery and we're there. We got to visit the tomb of the unknown soldier there. I got to witness the change of the guard. And I was just amazed. And watching this and all how all this happens, you know, my thought, first of all, it's a very moving thing to see and to witness. But I'm also thinking, like, how do these guys remember? I mean, every single little step, every, absolutely everything. You click this number of times. You go here. You stop. You turn. You do this number of steps. And that, a guy's doing this by himself. And then when it's time for the change, the other one comes. And then they're doing all these things together and absolutely perfectly in sync. And I'm thinking, how do they do that? How do they remember all of this, right? 
Well, for the traditions of the elders, it was kind of like with other things. No, 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 you got to do it exactly like this. And so before you eat, hey, they're not doing, they're not going through and following all the proper steps, Jesus. What's the matter with them? Coincidentally, who were they really criticizing? Were they really criticizing the disciples? No, they were criticizing Jesus, the teacher, because he was their teacher. He says, oh, oh, nice job. Nice job, Jesus. Right? Look at your disciples. They don't properly wash. Hmm. So this, yeah, he was a bad rabbi. Right. So the attack really wasn't on the disciples. It's really on Jesus saying, you're not teaching your disciples the proper tradition, the proper way of doing things, Jesus. And so this tradition that they had, it was a rabbinical tradition. Did this, all this elaborate procedure one would follow, did, did that come from the scriptures from the Old Testament? No, it was their what? Tradition. Tradition. It wasn't in the scriptures to do that. God had not commanded that. They wrote it up and did all of that. So their tradition then didn't come from the law of Moses. They had made these things up. And in fact, they had a whole series, hundreds and hundreds of things that were written up to regulate every aspect of their lives. And they were considered then just as binding as the written law of God, of what God had said. And they were passed on to each generation by faithful law teachers, the scribes. And the most common ritual cleansing then was this washing of one's hands before you would eat food. And this was especially important to do this if you had been in the marketplace. Because if you're a faithful Jew and you go to the marketplace, who is in the marketplace? Gentiles and all kinds of dirty people there, right? And you might become unclean then. You might get infected with their Gentileness. So, okay, I just made that word up, okay? But the principle is true, right? So you might get infected with their Gentileness there in the marketplace. And so when you came from the marketplace, you better make doubly sure that you're going through the proper ritual washing to get clean of the filth of the Gentiles in the marketplace. And to a loyal Jew then, to disregard those regulations was a sin. It's like disobeying the word of God itself. They considered following their tradition then was the essence of goodness, of righteousness, and of knowing God. So these religious leaders then, they direct their complaint, not to the disciples, but again to Jesus, because, oh, nice job teaching them, Jesus. Because they thought that the disciples' failure to observe was a symptom of a deeper problem. 
See, they already had their issues with Jesus, and now look at this. Do, do we need to see more, folks? Look at this. They don't even wash right. Hmm. So Jesus answered them. He says, He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition? For God, through Moses, commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift to God, then he need no longer do anything for his father or his mother. And thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And many such things you do. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, as it is written, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The more things change, the more they stay the same, right? For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. So fault is found, and now sin is challenged. Sin is challenged. Jesus immediately takes... You notice he doesn't bother to answer why they are or aren't doing that. He immediately goes on the offensive against them. And he asks, oh, you're concerned. They're breaking the tradition here. Well, let me ask you a question. Why are you breaking the commandments of God? The direct commands of God. Which direct command of God was Jesus referring to then? When he, It's in the Ten Commandments, what, to honor your mother and your father, right? Now, there were a number of other things they were breaking too, but he focuses in on this one because of how they would use a tradition of theirs to get around it. So rather than addressing the disciples' conduct, he goes right to the Pharisees and says, let's talk about something you were doing. And he addresses two issues then underlying the Pharisees' question Number one, the true source of religious authority. The true source of religious authority. Is it tradition or scripture? It's scripture. But what had they done? They had elevated their tradition, put it on an equal plane, even superseding scripture to get around scripture sometimes. So that was the first issue, the issue of religious authority. Tradition or scripture? It's scripture, Jesus points out, not your tradition. And then the second, the true nature of defilement. There's ceremonial defilement, but then there's moral defilement. 
in which between ceremonial defilement, certain things that God had prescribed for the people of Israel in the Old Testament law, ceremonial cleansing and, and, and cleanliness and, and being dirty, being made ceremonially clean and pure, that was an outward kind of thing, versus what? A moral, a moral dirtiness and a need for a moral cleansing. Which cleansing was Jesus more focused on here? The moral cleansing, right? Oh, sure, you're following your tradition. Your hands are all nice and clean, but your heart, your heart is dirty. And which is more important? The heart, right? So Jesus goes after the source of authority and the true nature of defilement, uncleanness. So he cites the fifth commandment then concerning honoring one's father and mother. You know, the Jews considered honoring of parents as so important that anyone who cursed his parents was to be put to death. How many kids are glad we don't uh, do that one right now, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, honoring one's parents takes on different meanings, though, doesn't it, depending on the age and stage of life of the children And the parents, it's one thing for very young children. They honor their parents by doing what? By obeying them, right? And then they get a little bit older. Become more defiant. I've heard that. There's a rumor. Is that true? I have heard that sometimes kids can be defiant. Is that true? And especially when they get a little older, become teenagers. I've heard that. Is that true? Yeah, that's what I've heard. Uh Uh-huh. So that can happen. Now, of course, fortunately, we adults, we know, we're never disobedient or defiant, are we? No, we are disobedient defiant to the Heavenly Father, aren't we? Mm-hmm. So, when you're a little kid, you honor your parents, you obey them. But as you get older, you grow up, you mature, your parents are older. That changes then when your parents are elderly How does one honor your parents when you're an adult and your parents are elderly by taking care of them, making sure they're they're, well cared for, they have what they need, right? Financially supporting them, caring for their practical needs in their old age. And Jesus then shows then how these religious leaders had in fact nullified that commandment to honor their parents. How were they doing that? Well, they, were, they had a particular tradition that they called Corban. Corban is a, a Hebrew word that means given to God or devoted to God. And what you would do is, is you would take your money, possessions, things like that, and you would say, oh, I am dedicating this. It's Corban. I'm dedicating this to God. So that what? So instead of caring for their parents, they wouldn't use their money to care for their parents. What would they do? They'd say, oh, oh, sorry, that's dedicated to God. You see the principle there is that you could say there are certain, and that takes precedence over anything. Because after all, shouldn't something devoted to God be more important? Shouldn't that be more important than devoted to any other thing? Right? You would think, sure. But what were they doing? They were using that. They were twisting that to get out of the obligation, this is really disgusting, folks, when you think about it, is the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they wanted to hold on to their money. Because you know what? It can be expensive to take care of someone, can it? 
And they wanted to hold on to their money. They wouldn't, now, they knew I'm supposed to honor my parents, so I need to take care of them. I need to spend my money on them. So what am I going to do? Oh, oh, sorry, that's, uh, that's dedicated to God. And there's now, it's like, well, they can't be spent on your parents. Sorry, Mom and Dad, uh, you're just going to have to get by the best you can. I know I've got plenty of resources to help you, but, you know, that's all dedicated to God. Hmm. So, it's despicable, isn't it? So they're worried that his disciples aren't going through all the proper washing rigmarole. And Jesus says, oh, meanwhile, yeah, your parents are out on the street because all of your money that you could use to support them is dedicated to God. Hmm. So, yeah, so all of this was just a way of them keeping hold of their money and their stuff so that they didn't have to spend it on their parents. So Jesus rightly points this out, calls them hypocrites <laughs> once again. Because actually, you know, it appears to be very spiritual. Oh, my money belongs to God. When in reality, yeah, it, it, they say it belongs to God. Who does it really belong to? Them, right? So it appears to be spiritual. But really what it was doing, it was a way to get around that commandment and to keep your money and your stuff for yourself. And such action had been described by Isaiah centuries before. Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29, verse 13. Listen to this, and, and, and here Isaiah is speaking of people who were doing you know, despicable things to, to, to get around the law of God in his day. But he's prophesying, though, too, about the Pharisees of Jesus' day. And so Jesus quotes from verse 13, but I want to read verse 13 and 14. This is what it says. This is from the New Living Translation that, that just makes it very crystal clear what's going on here. It says, uh, Isaiah 29, verse 13, And so the Lord says, These people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. Also known as tradition, right? Verse 14, because of this, think of this in terms of Jesus' day here now. It says, because of this, I will once again astound these hypocrites with amazing wonders. The wisdom of the wise will pass away and the intelligence of the intelligent will disappear. So the Pharisees are hypocrites because they made an outward profession of worshiping God, but they gave him no genuine worship from their hearts. The heart is what? It's not just that organ beating in your chest that pumps blood throughout your body. The heart is what? It's the center of your, of, of your being. It's the center of your thoughts and your will and your choices, your desires. And so for the Pharisees then, their religion had become a matter of outward 
appearances and man-made rules. Boy, does that happen today? Outward appearances, man-made rules. Yeah. When in reality, their hearts were far from God. And Jesus says of them, or anyone in such a condition, their worship was in vain. That is, it's empty, meaningless, it's fake. They did not truly worship God. They did not truly know God. And they did not truly understand true righteousness. So Jesus uses this as a teaching moment. It says, When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand, there is nothing that enters into the mouth from outside which can defile a man, but the things which come out of the mouth, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Surprise, surprise, right? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. And so Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth of a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but goes into the stomach and is eliminated thus purifying all foods. And he said, but those things which proceed out of the mouth of a man come from the heart, and they defile a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, false witness, lewdness, an evil eye, Blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. So fault is found, but sin is challenged, and righteousness is clarified. Righteousness is clarified. Jesus turned and he warns the crowd against the religious leaders' teachings. Again, for the people, who were their spiritual leaders? The Pharisees, right? And Jesus warns them, warns the people against them. He says, you know, a person is not defiled by what you eat going into you, but it's rather it, what comes out of you. Jesus says what? That, that eating certain foods, that isn't what, what makes a person unrighteous or wicked or unclean it's the heart that's wicked and unclean and that is revealed. what comes out of the mouth is what is revealing what's in our hearts right so it's the heart that is defiled not particular foods or rituals 
traditions. See, the Pharisees were wrong in thinking that their washings kept them spiritually clean. I find it interesting the disciples come to Jesus and they say, hey, the Pharisees were offended by that. <laughs> what do you think Jesus' response was? What do, you think? do you think maybe he laughed a little bit? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Perhaps. But then Jesus says something interesting. Says what? Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. I was right. There, there is, there was in their day, there was ethnic Israel, ethnic Jews, and then there were there was true Israel, true Jews, ethnic Israel, ethnic Jews were what? They were born. They were Jewish. They were born into that nation. But that didn't necessarily mean that they were a true lover and follower and worshiper of God, did it? They were a Jew. They weren't true Jews in their heart, but only outwardly. Now, and today, do we have folks that are part of a church and maybe are involved and do that? But they're not true followers of Jesus, right? From the heart. And so then, he says, those plants, these, they were not planted by my father, they'll be uprooted. They're not true believers, and they're going, to be up, they're going to be judged. And so Jesus says, leave them alone. And here's one of those, there are many uh, phrases that we have, the blind leading the blind. You've heard that? This is where it comes from. So Peter asked for a little further clarification. This was like, you know, to, what do you mean it, you were not made unclean? But there, aren't there certain foods we're not supposed to eat? But Jesus' point is to say, look, certain foods that you eat, you know, that isn't the, the issue, is the heart. And he wants to make that clear. That which comes out of the mouth represents what is actually inside a person's heart. And it's the heart that makes a person unclean. Evil thoughts, adulteries, Fornications, murder, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, false witness, lewdness, an evil eye, which is envy, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. Such actions and words rise from within one's evil heart. Uh, I'm I'm not particularly, um, how should I say, I'm... I'm not particularly optimistic about human nature. I don't think much of human nature, okay? Um, now, this is, I, I, I think quite a lot of God's creation, that we've been created in the image of God and that we are, and, and love and care for people. But the reality is, human, and, and human beings can sometimes do some incredibly brave and noble things, right? But overall, human nature, eh, not that impressed with it. Not that impressed with human nature, right? When you look what is in the heart of people. And if you might be, but, but wait a minute, it's, it's amazing some things people, and I know that, I know people do some amazing things. Just last week uh, was the uh, 9-11 memorial service, and so, you know, just the, the giving, people giving their lives, and, and we honor that, and rightly so. 
But within every one of us, there is this nasty, ugly thing, though, isn't there, called sin, the sin nature that is within all of us. And if you doubt that that exists there within all of us, I've seen a progression of this. Is, is like, remember, like in the early days of the internet, you had news stories, and then you were able to comment on it, and you can, well, and you still can now today, right? And you go there, you read a news story, or even now, like Wonder Lake Neighbors, uh, the neighborhood thing, and you know, and stuff like that, where you can go on there and you, people can comment on stuff. How many of you have had your faith in humanity tested a little bit by going to the comment section? Right? Don't do it. It's not good for your mental health, all right? Yeah, don't do it. But what does that do? That shows, and especially, too, when it's anonymous, you know, when it's just some screen name and who knows who this person is, boy, then, then you see what people really think, right? So you get the comments section of that. And now we have this thing called social media. Twitter, Instagram, stuff like that. Twitter is probably the worst, right? We should call it unsocial media, right? You see the truth about what's in people's hearts. And, you know, I was reminded, so I know this is a, a delicate topic here. I was talking with someone about this earlier this week. Uh, some of you know that, that some of you have had, you've been in a position where you've had to care for someone, a loved one, who is um, struggling with dementia or Alzheimer's. And you can be, sometimes see that and be amazed at some of the, the, the ugliness that can come out of someone. From, you know, so you hear this, this sweet, sweet little old lady, and now she has dementia, alta, and so, and, and just the things this sweet little old lady can say to you, right? Where's that coming from? I know because of that, it's, what, it's because of the, the brain and the things that, that, that um, those inhibitions, those inhibitions have been removed, and, it's not right. and what's, re- what's in the heart? can come out then, right? See, all, how, how many of you here are exactly the person we all see right now, right? Do you present exactly everything who you are to every person here today, every day? No, you don't. There are things that you, you suppress, right? Because what? That's in our nature. It's in the sin nature, right? Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows that. I got news for you. No, he doesn't. He may have some. You know who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? God knows. So when you see that stuff in the comments section on social media, or sometimes even with a, a patient but struggling with all this, what are you seeing? You're seeing the ugliness of the human heart that God sees in every one of us. And he says, these matters. These are the things that defile. Not washing your hands. It's that that defiles a person. So Jesus challenges them on their notion of true worship true knowledge of God and true righteousness, true worship. It's not merely external action, but true worship comes from the heart. 
We worship in spirit and in truth. And when we worship, what do we do? We are declaring God's worth, his great infinite value, and his worthiness then to receive our praise, our adoration, our love, our faith, our obedience. That's true worship. Not following some rituals and traditions, but declaring from the heart God's great worth and worthiness, adoration, praise, love, thanksgiving, obedience, faith. Not washing your hands a certain way. And then true knowledge of God. It's knowledge of God. When I say knowledge, I mean knowledge of God, not knowledge about God. We can know a lot of things about God, but not know God, can we? I've referenced this before. I want to mention again that this is a great resource. Uh, J.I. Packer uh, wrote a book called Knowing God. I'd highly recommend to you. But I want to just read something briefly from that. I said before, it talks about the difference between knowledge about God versus knowledge of God. We can learn all kinds of things about God, but that isn't knowing God that's personal, intimate relationship. But he talks here, he says here, he wonders then, he says, you know, we are perhaps orthodox evangelicals. We can state the gospel clearly. We can smell unsound doctrine a mile away. If asked how one may know God, we can at once produce the right formula that we come to know God through Jesus Christ the Lord in virtue of his cross and mediation on the basis of his word of promise by the power of the Holy Spirit via a personal exercise of faith. Well, that's pretty good. He said a lot better than I could or any of us here, right? And yet the joy, the goodness, and the unfetteredness of spirit, which are the marks of those who have known God, are rare among us. So he says, it's not just about knowing about, it's knowing God. And how do we know God? Well, we know him through his word, through prayer, through worship, through fellowship, through service. All of these and other things, this is how we know God. But, but even then, you can engage in all those things, but still not be truly engaged in the heart, can't you? What do we have to do? We have to open up our hearts to God in his word and in prayer, in worship, in spirit and truth, in fellowship with one another, in service. This is how we come to truly know God. Not know about God, but have true knowledge intimate relationship with God. And finally, true righteousness. True righteousness is from the heart. It's not just external conformity or ritual. Is there any saving or redeeming the flesh, the sinful human nature? Nope. It has to die. And it was crucified with Christ And in its place, what has God given us? His very own righteousness. Imputed righteousness, we call that, right? So in Christ, our nasty, filthy, ugly, human, sinful, fallen, sin nature, flesh, has been crucified and died with Christ. And now he has given us a new 
nature, a new righteousness, which is a gift received by faith in him. There's no fixing that. It just has to die and be replaced by God's very own righteousness. So what? I'd remind us that religious rituals and traditions, whether it was in the days of the Pharisees or today, do we have religious rituals and traditions? Sure we do. And again, just a ritual tradition in and of itself isn't bad, but what? When it becomes a substitute for true worship, true knowledge of God, and true righteousness from the heart. Religious rituals, traditions are no substitute for true worship, true knowledge of God, and true righteousness from the heart. So do you worship God truly? Do you declare in your, in your heart, in your spirit, his worth, his infinite value and worth, his greatness, his grandeur, his majesty, and his worthiness to receive our love our praise, our adoration, our faith, our obedience? Do you worship God truly? Do you know God truly? Do you want to know God better? You can find him in here in his word where he will speak to you in prayer. Do you pursue righteousness truly? Are you still trying to fix, fix the, the, the sinful nature? You can't fix it. It's been crucified in Christ. We have to embrace the reality then of who we are. You are new. You have a new nature. You have the righteousness of God. You give him praise and thanks for that. And then you walk in that newness of life by the power of who? The Holy Spirit. Right. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this gift of righteousness that you have given us in Jesus. Lord, we can look at the Pharisees and we can just uh, tilt our, or shake our heads and say, how could they be so blind? How could they not see that? And yet, God, we can be subject to those very same errors and mistakes. Making worship and knowledge of you and righteousness and, and external matter and external conformity. So what it really is, is it's a matter from the heart. So, Lord, we acknowledge our sinfulness, our fallenness. We repent from that, and we turn to you, Lord Jesus Christ, and thanking you for the gift that you have given us of your life, of your death on the cross, and your resurrection, and the hope that we have then in you. Help us then, Lord, to continue to grow in that faith and knowledge of you, turning away from the false and the sinful and embracing the true and the good. May we truly know you. May we truly worship you. May we grow in true righteousness as your spirit works within us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.